Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service today and introduce you to our church. One piece of church business before we get to the sermon today, I'll avoid making a joke about how we announce it now just to make sure everybody's in their chairs, um, but I'll avoid that joke. Uh, when we, before I came, uh, one of the things that happened in the interim uh, was that our church voted in new bylaws. And a part of the motion um, in voting in those bylaws was that there would be a full review and revision done, and we've done that. So uh, copies of the um, proposed revised bylaws are available over next to the snack sign up. So what you can do after the service is go sign up uh, to bring snacks in the couple weeks we have left and then pick up a copy. And as you uh, see in your bulletin, we've given you um, a brief timeline for how this will work. Uh, any feedback is due to the elders uh, by Sunday, August 28th. And then we will have a congregational meeting after the service on September 18th. So in the meantime, please ask any questions. Uh, we will be emailing out uh, this week a digital copy of the proposed revisions along with a digital copy of the current bylaws. But um, we decided to be nice to creation and not make a ton of copies of the current bylaws. So. Uh, you will get those in an email. So again, just please ask any questions about that, and then we'll vote on that in September. All right, let's turn to Psalm five, 4. Excuse me. Psalm 4, we're working our way through a couple psalms during the summer months here. We've made it all the way to Psalm number 4. It's on page 448 if you're using one of the chair Bibles. Now, many of you responded positively to my message last week where one of the applications was sleeping. And um, if that was you, you're in luck. We're going to talk about sleep again. There are many similarities between Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. One of them is sleep and how that is a demonstration of faith. But one of the challenges as you read through your Bible, as you preach through the Bible, is that there are similar chapters in the Bible. And so one of the things you need to do, and this is great just for reading too, is figure out, okay, what's different about this chapter, about this psalm, asking the question, if this was not here, what would we be missing? And while we will see some similar themes to Psalm 3, hiding in God's protection and experiencing peace and rest, there is one major difference between Psalms 3 and 4. And that is this, that David knows he's being watched. David, in 
Psalm 4 has an audience that he did not have in Psalm 3. Now, we can relate to this because if there's one thing we understand in our culture today is that you are being watched. A couple months ago, Mark Zuckerberg, who is the founder of Facebook, posted a picture on his Instagram account. And when people looked really closely, they saw that certain parts of his computer had tape on them. His camera, his computer camera, and his computer microphone port. And they're like, huh, why does Mark Zuckerberg have those covered with tape? The paranoid among us, and perhaps the realist among us, understood what he was doing. He knows that people are going to try to watch and listen to what he does. We've seen this in the various times in the news where an action, an illegal action, or a possible illegal action is caught on tape. We've seen this in people's experiences with the police where all of a sudden the first thing they do is they turn their phone camera on. And with police wearing body cameras, now you are being watched. So the question is, if we're being watched, and this isn't even, I haven't even gotten into how our neighbors watch us. Maybe you're that neighbor who watches all of us. <laughs> or think about your kids, how much they watch you or your grandkids. Those times where your kids mimic you exactly and you realize, oh, they've been watching way more closely than I ever knew. And why is it they always mimic the bad behavior? I don't know. Only the Lord knows that. So what will people see when they see you? And here's a further question. What will they see when you're experiencing hardship? I think you could make an easy case that who we really are, who we truly are, comes out when we are in stressful situations. This idea of we are like a sponge, and when we are squeezed, what's inside of us comes out. So the question then becomes, what comes out of you when you are squeezed? When you're squeezed by hardship and trials and suffering, what comes out of you because people are watching? Now, some of them are watching because they want to learn from you. We think of our kids or our grandkids or just any kids who are around us. They want to see how life is lived, and so they are watching. But others are watching to see if we're the real deal. Is my neighbor a hypocrite? Does he just talk a good talk? Or will he say the same things when he's going through the dark times of life? What will the unbelievers you know say about you when you experience hardship? 
will they say, wow, he is a different person and he is nothing like he was in the good times? Or will they see faith in God? And David is going to show us what that's like today in Psalm 4. This psalm is one part prayer and one part preaching. He is both praying to God, but also speaking to the people around him. And he is going to show them what he is like in the hard times. Our big idea, if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, is this, that we trust God in the midst of hardship as an example to the watching world of their need to trust God. So let's first look at words of trust, starting in verse 1. Verse 1 begins this psalm with a prayer. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is something we've seen in the Psalms before. This is again why the Psalms is so good for our prayer life. Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David, in his distress, calls out to the Lord. But why should God listen to him? Why do I have any confidence in my prayers to God? Where does David's confidence come? First we see his confidence is in the very character of God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. God who is righteous. God who always does the right thing. And especially in this context, keeps his promises to answer prayer. God has made you a promise that if you belong to him and you pray to him, he will answer. And because of his righteous character, he cannot break that promise. Secondly, we see that he is able to call out in prayer because God has answered him in the past. God has Second line in verse 1, you have given me relief when I was in distress. In some ways, God is a very historical God. And he calls us to look back in the past. That's one of the reasons there are so many stories in the Bible. It's not just a collection of sayings, like some holy books that you can see today. But when we look back at what God did... Because he is righteous and just, he will act in the same way. You can do that in your own life. You can do that through reading the stories in the Bible. So David has confidence before the Lord because God has given him relief in the past, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The third reason that he has confidence in his prayers is on the basis of the grace of God. Look at the third line in verse 1 there. 
Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. God doesn't owe you anything. But he loves you and is gracious towards you. It's not how you pray. You know, if you get enough Lord's in your prayer, like if you say Lord or God every other word, that's not going to make him answer your prayer. Or if you do what my dad did, he would always put the word just in there. <laughs> we just want to pray. And so he prayed a just prayer. But it's on the basis of God's grace. He is a gracious God whose grace knows no bounds and no limits. And so even in the worst times, David can cry out to the Lord and the Lord will answer. But as he's doing this, starting in verse 2, he turns from his prayer to address people who are around him. Again, this is the big difference between Psalm 3 and 4. Again, you're going to see some, some similarities in themes. But what's different is, is he addresses these people, in, in, this, in this context, these people are, are enemies of him in some way, and he's going to talk to them about his faith in God about how he trusts the Lord in the hard times. So follow along as I read verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? He begins with this rebuke of this, this crowd who has surrounded him, who is looking at him suffer. And maybe they're suffering, he is suffering at their hand. The first thing, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? This is, this is a different, it's, it's not exactly clear, but, but I think the big idea here is that as the chosen king of God, as one of God's people, specifically chosen to be king, they are taking that honor of being chosen by God to be king of Israel and they are disrespecting him and shaming him even though he has been chosen by God. This verse is one of the reminders that the world of the Bible is a little different from ours. We would call this a shame-honor culture. That the worst thing that can happen to you is that shame would come upon you, that ill repute would come upon you. You can still see this in some of the Asian countries like Korea or China and Japan. This idea of shame and honor. And these people are shaming him even though he is due honor and respect as God's appointed king. What else are they doing? <clears throat> How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, what's interesting about the verbs in that line of verse 2 is that we are to love God and seek after his kingdom. 
And these people have replaced God and his work and his will with vain or empty or worthless words and lies. Instead of following God, instead of seeking after God, instead of loving God, they love to hear empty words. Now, our culture knows a lot about empty words. It's called Twitter. But, but again, in this context, I think it's clear that they are running after words that make them feel better or look better or have more power. They are running after fame and status and compliments. And again, when we, we, can, we can relate to this because we live in a culture that is addicted to fame and being known and being popular. Again, I think that's the reason the internet was invented. They run after it. They love that instead of loving God. And instead of seeking his truth, instead of seeking and following and running after him, they seek after lies. If you are not seeking after God, even if you're religious, you're seeking after a lie. Because there is no God but our God, and anything else is a lie. And so David rebukes these people for rejecting God, for not following after God, for abandoning God. His truth. But it doesn't stop there. So that's what they've done wrong. Now he's going to tell them what they should be doing. Let's look at verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. He's saying, look, you need to know something. The Lord has a people. The Lord has people who belong to them. And to attack them, to shame them, is to attack God himself. And the second part of verse 3, the Lord hears when I call to him. So in some way, David's trust... And prayers to God were what was being attacked by these men. The criticism wasn't that he was a bad administrator as king. It wasn't that they didn't like his kingly speeches that he gave. They are attacking his trust and faith in God. They are mocking that, the Lord, that he calls out to the Lord. And he is telling them, listen, you need to know something. The Lord hears when I call to him. Secondly, they are to repent. Look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. For a people who love worthless words, they are called to shut their mouths. 
And again, from the context of, of, of in the first part of verse 4, this idea of, of do not sin, of, of calling them to stop their sinning, we understand that this silence is to be before the Lord. This is a wonderful picture of repentance, of admitting your sin and sitting silently before a holy God. Ponder in your own hearts. Examine your hearts. And when we understand that there is a holy God and we really examine what's in our hearts, we will stop talking. And we will sit silently before a holy God. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know what's in our heart and we know it is not holy. Even in a psalm directed at these external attackers, the external foes, David still takes time to help us understand that it's not just evil out there. It's not just those people. And if we just keep away from those people, we'll be clean. No, the evil is right here. And when we ponder what's in our hearts, we sit silently before the Lord. But again, it doesn't end there. So there's, there's a recognition of who God is and that God has a people. And then there is this, this posture of repentance. And that posture of repentance then leads to verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. When you understand who God is, and you understand who you are as a sinner before Him, the next step is then to put your trust in Him. Because the Lord has a people. And when you belong to the Lord, you dedicate yourself to offer right sacrifices. What does that mean? Remember, sacrifices in the Old Testament were, was their form of worship. So what's he saying? Put your trust in the Lord and worship Him. Dedicate your life to His glory, not running after vain and empty words and lies. In some ways, these four verses are a picture of our conversion. That there's a recognition of who God is and that He wants to be in relationship with the people He created. And there's an understanding that, that God is God and I am not. And then there is that repentance of sin, of recognizing that I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. And then finally there's that step of faith. That entrusting our lives to a gracious God. David called the people he was watching, who were watching him. And guess what? The call has not changed for us today. We call people to know who God is. 
we call them to repent of their sins and to place their trust in God. The message has not changed. So we see David speak to those around him about his faith. We see him speak about the trust that he has in God and a call for them to do the same. But again, we're being watched. David is being watched. And the next question for those is, well, good sermon, but do you actually live that out? Because if there's one thing I found is true, that if you really do believe something, it will change how you live. I really believe in gravity, therefore I don't jump off the roof. If I didn't actually believe it, if I didn't actually believe in gravity, I might try it. Not saying it, but I might. Once. Thank you, Bo. That's why he's on the elder board. All right. <laughs> but again, if you really do believe something, it'll change how you live. And again, one of the, one of the first accusations about Christians that I hear is, are they hypocrites or not? Because they can talk a good game, but do they live it out in their life? And David understands that, and it's especially a question when we're suffering, because it's one thing to talk when things are good, but will we talk and act the same way when things are bad? I might say I trust in God when I have a job and I have my health, but will I demonstrate my trust in God when a family member gets cancer? When I lose my job? When I can't afford my house payments? This is what people want to see. And let me take it a step further and say it's what they need to see. So we saw words of trust in verses 1 to 5, but now let's look at actions of trust in verses 6 to 8. Again, as is a pattern in this psalm, this section begins with a prayer. So prayer preaching, prayer preaching. Verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David is addressing the Lord, and, and he is, in a sense, praying for the people who are asking this question. In some ways, verse 6 is, is, is an intercessory prayer made on behalf of others. Who will show us some good? There is a call out for goodness from someone. Goodness and blessing. And I want you to notice in the second half of verse 6, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. 
This needs to remind you of your favorite book in the Bible, the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They are looking for the fulfillment of that blessing. Who will show us some good? Who will bless us in the way that the Lord promised? And in verse 7, David shares his own experience of God's blessing. Again, this is part of his prayer. He's still addressing God. Verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So I have experienced joy. I have experienced life the way that you created me to live it. And I've been more joyful than people who have a lot of food. Such an interesting comparison there. Then then they have when their grain and wine abound. So we need to think, who is going to have a lot of grain and a lot of wine? First of all, if you were wealthy, you had plenty of food. So one way that, to help us understand what this is saying is you, is you have given me more joy than people with tons of money. People who can afford pretty much anything they want, I have more joy than them. Now we might be, yeah, but you don't know what it's like to be poor. But we also don't know what it's like to be king. David is one of the wealthy. David is the king of a country. And I think he's speaking out of his experience to look at those who had wealth. And he's among them. He interacts with them. And if even your wealth is your God, David says there's no joy compared to the joy of the Lord. I have more joy than the wealthy. But we also have to understand about food. No grocery stores back then. So if your harvest, there was a problem with your harvest, you didn't have grain or wine. And so you're really happy when you had it because there's no guarantee you're going to get it. There's no guarantee you're going to have a good harvest because you can't control the weather. And you can't control grasshoppers and locusts. And so there is joy in that the blessing of an abundance in food and wine had no guarantee. David says, I have more joy in you 
And then in verse 8, he demonstrates his trust. He demonstrates his faith in God to bring him joy and peace. And he demonstrates it by sleeping. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David not only speaks of his trust in God, but he lives it out in his life. He trusts God, and a demonstration, like we talked about last week, a demonstration of that trust, even in the worst times, is peaceful sleep. He is demonstrating to a watching world that I not only talk about my faith, but I live it out. And it's not only in the good times, it's in the bad. He can find peace in the worst times. Because notice in verse 8, make me dwell in safety. That means he's in danger. So he can be in danger. He can be under attack and still sleep. And that is one way that he lives out his trust in God. He tells them of his faith and then demonstrates his faith. So how does that help us today? Let me close here with three three ideas of how this works out today for us. The first is this. How you act in the times of hardship will speak volumes to the people in your life. Again, you are being watched. Especially if someone knows you are a follower of Jesus, you are being watched. Even if it's just your family. You are being watched. And people need to see if your faith is real. And one of the best ways for them to know that your faith is real is that you maintain your trust in God both in the good times and in the bad. I want to speak specifically to parents and grandparents on this. Your kids need to see, your grandkids need to see that you are the same person who trusts in God even when it's difficult. Because that's how you show them that that faith is real. Because what they're going to do is they're watching you in how you react to hardship because when they face it, they need to know what to do. If your trust is only in the good times, you are going to teach them that faith in God is not strong enough for the bad times. And then they're going to experience hard times. And they'll throw it away because they know from you that it isn't going to do anything. 
secondly, we need to seek after God in faith. In the, in the rebuke of David's opponents, we see them running after everything besides God. Where your treasure is, is where you take refuge. If you seek after worthless words and lies, and you love those things, that's where you're going to find refuge. But guess what? It's a terrible refuge. But if you seek after God, He is your refuge, and no one can touch you when He is the one protecting you. And this language of taking refuge in God, how do we do that? We do that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on our behalf, which forgives us of our sins and reconciles us to God and makes us one of his people. That's how you take refuge in God, is you belong to him. And number three, real faith shows itself in action. We must speak about our faith in God. We must do that. But we also must live it out. Because if faith is living, it will change how we live. So what will people see when you experience hardship? What will your neighbors see? What will your kids and your grandkids see when you experience the dark times in life? Will they see you running after empty words and internet fame and lies? Or will they see you take refuge in God Will they see fear and chaos? Or will they see trust and peace? When you are squeezed like a sponge, what's going to come out of you? May we not only speak to our world about trust, but may we also live it out even in the worst times. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you as the God who protects your people, the one in whom we can dwell in safety, the one who gives us peace so that we can lay down and sleep. God, that we would share with those watching the reason for the hope we have and that you would empower us by your spirit to live out our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I want to invite those who are helping with communion to come forward at this time.
communion